Hi, everybody at CoveyCast. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, founder of CoveyClub.com. Hope you've all made your way over there to check out the site. Now that we're rocking and rolling, we have print, we have events, we have all kinds of great stuff for you over there. But glad you're here listening to the CoveyCast. And who we have today is this wonderful woman, Candace Cook, who is the managing partner of the Cook Law Group, and it's online, you can find it. She's also the founder of a media company called Namasteer Media. She's an attorney, a writer, a filmmaker, a philanthropist, and she's helped dozens of entrepreneurs, including the founder of The Cronut. I don't know, maybe we shouldn't like her if she founded the Help Somebody Find That Darn Thing that has 2,000 calories in it. Um, but she actually um, helped them find their way um, into being entrepreneurs. And as you all know, when you're thinking of reinventing yourself, one of the most important parts is what am I going to do about this legally to make sure you protect yourself, to make sure you um, get the paper done, everything down on paper early, to get yourself a trademark. Um, these are all the things you learn um, and you don't want to learn them too early. I believe you need to learn them the minute you have an idea of what you want to do for reinvention. You need to talk to someone in legal to make sure um, that you're doing it right. And especially if you're going to go into business with a, a friend um, or if you're going to take money from people. And I honestly believe it should be the second thought in your head. Um, it seems very big to, to be wanting to think about a lawyer early on. But um, I think it's really important having been through this. Um, I can tell you that's really important. Good contracts build good friendships, especially if you're going to go into business with a family friend or a mate or a, or a friend. Um, anyway, Candace does it in a different way, which is kind of interesting. She, um, instead of doing an hourly, they have that too, but they do a subscription model because they know how entrepreneurs work and that you may need more help early on um, where they don't wanna be turning the clock on every five minutes you're sending an email, which is what happens. Anyway, I'm thrilled to welcome Candace Cook and she's gonna give you all the best advice she has about how to find legal so that you can make your dream of reinvention come true. So I want to welcome the wonderful Candace Cook. How are you, Candace? I am doing very well. How are you? Awesome. I'm so glad. I've been chasing you for a while, and I'm so glad that we found the time where we could talk. Because you have an expertise both talking about your own reinvention and all about um, how all these reinventors um, can find legal help and where they go and how they do it. And you know, one of the big things I've learned as being an entrepreneur um, and having gone out there early with a buddy and you know, nobody put anything down on paper and it like ruined the friendship. We should what I what I now believe is that if you're an entrepreneur, the minute you find a partner you want to play with of any sort, you should find somebody in legal or go somewhere in legal and help them build a, a great wall. It's like, it's like fences around your, your yard. Great fences make great neighbors. And so Absolutely. is that true? Okay. 
So let's talk yeah. about a little bit about your background because you have a, such an interesting background um, in helping entrepreneurs and also your own personal background. Talk about where you grew up and how you got into legal and then what your pivot was. Absolutely. Well, I love just the way you framed it, right? And, and I think that my trajectory is a huge reflection of a lot of the way you framed how entrepreneurs need to look at things when they're pivoting. And I think the first thing is perspective. And so I grew up in Atlanta by way of several locations, uh, Atlanta to Tennessee, or rather Atlanta to Virginia to Tennessee to Texas to California to New York. And I grew up, yes, yes. So it was, I mean, I definitely consider myself a Georgian and a New Yorker. I am very proud of my my Georgian (laughs) roots, and I feel very privilege to be able to build a life and a career in New York. So it's a balance of those things. And I grew up with parents who were very traditional in so many ways, but definitely had entrepreneurial spirits, right? And so in doing that, uh, the tradition was we really like, I hate to say safe bets, Uh, but I think that's the best way to frame it. They like sort of that safety, that, you know, going to graduate school, what's next? type of thing. And I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was leaving college and people were backpacking. And I said, I think I should backpack for a year. And he (laughs) basically, he wanted to hang up the phone, but I appreciate the fact (laughs) that he didn't. And he said, you most certainly can backpack on a weekend after you graduate from grad school, after you pay for that and you have a job, you can backpack all you want. But what you will not be doing is taking a year to backpack. Now, he was right in some ways, but I was also right in some ways, and that goes back to the perspective. Uh, But I did. I'm a a rules follower in a lot of ways, and so I followed the rules. I went straight to graduate school, law school at Vanderbilt University, Um, and then since I'd wanted to, you know, air quote, backpack through Europe, I knew the way to get my parents to buy into that was through education. And so I got into a program at Oxford and knew that, you know, they'll they'll pay for me to go to Europe if I'm in school. And so I attended a trial advocacy program and to, you know, date myself how long ago this was, we were debating whether or not there should be a euro, whether or not there should be one type of currency. I mean, all of those things. And I'm, you know, a happy slash that say I was right during the debate and everything we sort of put on the floor has come to fruition. But moving forward, I'm going to law school without having time to reflect, which is why for me to go to grad school, but going immediately really meant I was going with not a fully seasoned version of what I anticipated my life to look like. Mm-hmm. And so my career choices in the very beginning really were not as well-baked as they were after I'd been in my career for a while. And so I, I went into litigation. I practiced corporate litigation for a significant amount of time, moved to Texas. Uh, and I feel very fortunate for all of those experiences, but what I learned as I was continuing to work and became better baked was that, okay, well, now I see what this whole landscape looks like, and this is not the final version of what I'm anticipating for my life, and so my perspective had to change. And, and with so that, how did it change? 
Well, with that really was an idea of, okay, so those rules and being a rules follower, it's time for you to start crafting some rules of your own and to not look for this outside adoration and start assuming, one, that I wouldn't get it, which was not person on board when I started making decisions to pivot, but also stating, okay, I'm not seeing the landscape of exactly what it is I want to do. Am I going to wait for someone to offer that to me or am I going to create it myself? And so the perspective is accepting that fear is a component of making a decision, but it cannot be the determining ingredient in the recipe of reshaping your life. And so I vacillated between comfort and and what I knew, and then also frustration with what I know I want to do and what I am exceptionally great at, other people are not offering that yet. It did not truly exist, and in, in my profession specifically. And so I, I went out to see, I, you know, I thought to build it. And so that's what I did with my firm, um, sort of changing the way we offer legal advice, the way we work with entrepreneurs, the way we work really in the business landscape and not being afraid to provide innovative advice. Which, uh, what I know is very frustrating. My clients have said it. I saw it. Uh, is this whole idea, lawyers are, we want to protect. And so when people ask questions, we give very long treatises on <laughs> what you can do, but also okay. why it's so dangerous. And okay. so then you're left saying, okay, but what am I supposed to do? And my idea was to create something that was more finite, that gave those answers, that cut out middlemen slash women, and that really allowed people to come to the table, be innovative, and to be disruptors without being afraid of the disruption. So talk a little bit about what you do differently for entrepreneurs. Um, And am I correct in saying that, first of all, this whole idea that you're going to find your best buddy, the idea of going... I don't know. I, from what I've heard, the idea of going into business with your best friend is, I would say, maybe I hear it actually works out 10% of the time. Most of the time, it does not work out. And that as soon as you have your idea um, and you you know, want to start working in your garage with your girlfriend, a la Mark Zuckerberg or somebody like that, or Steve Jobs with his buddies, you should probably go see some kind of lawyer who can set out what each of you is going to do and and what the responsibilities are. Even if you think it's too early, it's not. Am I correct? You're 100% correct. Uh, and I think where it starts to shift is we're moving from being friends and doing something as friends to moving to a business and doing something with a component of business. And so that type of relationship requires a heightened level of conversation that you may not, I think you absolutely can go into business with your best friend. I you don't do. think okay. that you alone a lot is of a happy, problem, but I think if you situations. treat your best friend like you would treat a business person, you will keep your best friend a lot longer. I think the, the danger comes in is there's undercurrent of trust and this undercurrent of background knowledge. So you know how people operate, and that can be a benefit in so many ways. The danger comes in when we don't fill in the holes that exist in our friendship and allow those holes to exist in our business relationship and don't paper up 
okay, well, this is what it looks like in terms of responsibility. With friendship, if your friend is 20 minutes late for brunch, most of the time you just order another drink. And you wait and you send a text saying, no worries, and you get it. They're doing whatever it is they're doing, and that's just par for the course. If they're 20 minutes late for your business meeting, suddenly the stakes are a lot different. You've put money in. There's a... Or, or sweat equity, whatever the case may be, the stakes are very different. And so the responsible thing to do is to, yes, one, you want to talk about what it is we're really trying to do and make sure that we're not two people staring into each other's eyes as deep friends, but staring in the right direction for our business goal. And that can be very different. Two, making sure that you didn't just ally up with the they're your hype person. They make you feel great. Our friends are wonderful for that. You know, it's, mm. it's just delicious. I mean, I can tell you really tried. It's amazing. Yeah, but is it delicious? Because right. there's a difference between really trying and being amazing and, not, and that not being your career versus it not being great. You need to go back and having the type of relationship where that type of rough honesty doesn't ruffle your feathers. And right. the best way to alleviate those types of emotional flat, those tactile real-life situations that happen in business is to sit down and to have a third party. And in many cases, the reason it makes sense for it to be an attorney, and it's not to suck the money out of the business, right? And you asked, what did we do differently? Well, the first thing is we understand that people, hourly rates don't make a lot of sense in many cases with individuals who are building businesses. You need to be able to brainstorm. You need ideation. You need to be Mm -hmm. able to iterate. You need to be able to pivot. It's Mm -hmm. very difficult to have the conversations that flush out ideas if you're watching the clock and you're afraid of, of going and extrapolating and really whiteboarding something out with the person who's honestly like another business part of your entity, which should be your attorney. And they get to see the big picture and understand it. And everyone does not have a formulation to be able to do that well. And we came in and and found ways to do that. But back to paper. What does that entail? And where does somebody find the right um, legal help then? And what does it entail that's different about what you do? Because you, you, so you're not charging by the hour where most attorneys will. I mean, and I'll say that for my business, I would say a good 30% of all my costs so far have been legal. Yes. And that's, it's one of those things where to do it right, yes, you're going to have an attorney come in. And depending on what city, what state, what industry you're in, I truthfully believe referrals can be the best way. I think that, you know, know, honest referrals from people who can say what their experiences were, what worked well for them, what did not work well for them, and to have ongoing relationships with their attorneys. Um, If people have – because the the best lawyer for an entrepreneur business person – really is the one who is answering the questions that you haven't identified. If you are identifying Uh all of the issues and they're just coming in doing almost like a Mad Libs, we fill in the holes, well, that's the the easy thing. The goal is to have those things you haven't identified addressed to preclude you from running into issues in the long game. That's where the benefit of the third party comes in. And so, you know, it's it's the low-hanging fruit that anyone theoretically can do. The goal, the, the thing that separates the people who have 
good enough businesses from rock star businesses are the ones who have people who come in come in and say, look, this is the long game. This is what you want to do and have happening for you in five years. You need to do this now. And, and can also say it's triage, right? We don't right. want you spending all of your money on things you don't need in the immediate future. But we certainly want to set you up so that you can obtain the market share you need early on so that you can you know, protect those things you need to have protected so you can scale in a reasonable way. And those types of relationships, truthfully, are few and far between the best way to identify in the aggregate. Obviously, in isolation, things can be different. But in the aggregate, the scalable solution is really seeing who you meet, that you like, asking, you know, who have businesses that inspire you, who are they represented by, and and getting referrals in that way. Looking and listening, that it's really a tactile, visceral approach. And then it's also brass tacks. Are they delivering? Okay. It feels good, but they're not delivering, then that's not good you know, either. But the goal is to go to really do your research the same way you're researching your business. So the, is 30% for a startup, is that, does, or, and how are you doing it differently specifically? Because you're doing it as you're not doing an hourly fee, right? I'm coming to you and you're doing, um, right? A, I guess a monthly. We do subscription. Or how is that working? Yeah, we do a subscription, and so it's you know it's interesting because I'm not a person who necessarily enjoys buffets when I go out to eat. That's not really my thing, but I I get why it's a lot of people's things, and I I believe that when people are starting businesses and they need to be able to float ideas and they'll have these great ideas, and going back to the analogy about two best friends who are working together, what you also have, the risk there is there's no third party who's able to come in and interject to say, and so people, by the time they've come up with these ideas, they're married to these ideas. These ideas are very personal. The beauty of having something like a subscription model is knowing that you can call, you've got a third party, and they're able to, without it being, playing the politics of we're all in the garage together, no, I'm not in the garage, I'm really going off of what I'm hearing. It's not personal. It's, it's purely objective. And understanding what both of you want in the long game, this one in this instance makes the most sense, but then you can do X, Y, Z. And it's being able to facilitate that long game conversation that can be really powerful and beneficial, particularly if you're working with, you know, a dear friend. To the extent of how it works, it's really a set of time here, a set of time, and within that time, depending on the type of business, what the needs are, then you're really buying that block of time monthly, and you are, it's a subscription, so it truly works exactly as it sounds, being able to get counsel as you need it and have documents created as you need it without paying Look, to be perfectly honest, I don't know how an hourly rate for a person who is a business person truly can long game make a lot of sense. The whole point is for efficiency. So are we rewarding an inefficient model? Why would I want to, as a consumer, pay more for someone taking longer to do what I need them to do? I I, I reward out-of-the-box thinking and ingenuity and innovation and understanding how synergistic relationships work in a lot of different models, understanding how people can benefit, you know, not just because things are on trend, but because we want to see, I mean, it's, it truly is the Wayne Gretzky quote. Why are we, we operate at our firm where the hockey puck is going, not where it is. So, no, everyone may not be using blockchain to protect IP today, 
but chances are they will be using it in a few years. Why wouldn't you? It's, and so it's kind of these obvious and understanding how that works in publishing, how people can use the tools that are available but become stellar in it now. And those conversations don't get to really come to fruition, one, when you're charging people by the hour, two, when you're paying by the hour, because the only thing I would want paying for, the, you know, within that block is exactly what I asked for done as quickly as possible. Okay, so I see. When we you risk know. a lot. Okay. So what do people, what kind of subscriptions can they take? Be specific. Well, it really depends on the business. It re and on that, it's it's completely case by case. What a person in fashion needs is very different than a person who is, you know, patenting a product and essentially doing product design that they would sell to a big box company. Uh, so we look and see what their business is, what the model is, and then we have a range of prices based off of what the normal needs are, you know, and I'm using air quotes for normal because every right. business is unique, but there's certain things that everyone is going to need to do. And if they're coming straight out of the box, there's, you know, there's a checklist of things that we found internally make for successful companies. And we've seen it time and time again. And we also know how much time on the front end is really required to get it done right. And most of the time it can be, a lot more intensive in the very beginning while you're crossing T's and dotting I's, and then it can trickle right. off. It's like teaching your child not to even use a diminishing analogy, but really it's teaching someone to ride a bike. In right. the very beginning, it's a little, you're more hands-on the steering wheel. You're paying closer right. attention. After a while, you know, there will be falls. This is real life. People are learning and going, and customers change, and, and they're figuring right. out things as they go, but that's what you're building towards, and so that's sort of the model that we utilize. And so I can come in and get $5, I mean, sorry, five hours a month or 10 hours a month or how is it done? And is it, it is, just to give them an idea so normally, of what you're talking about? So it's done on a monthly scale. So it's a minimum of three months. And okay. then, and so the months start for a period of a month and then the, but they're not hours within that, right? So we have people who are emailing us constantly uh, and that's completely fine, and we respond constantly. But this is the way that we keep what I call the we're going to wait until something goes wrong issue. We've also had people that I, I've not been able to take as clients because by the time they got to us, they were doing so much piecemeal mm -hmm. that it would almost be cost prohibitive for them to clean up mm. what they done, whereas if mm -hmm. they had had someone advising from the get, then those things, those issues would have been avoided. And in fairness to them, it makes more sense to have an infusion of capital to clean this up properly than to have a startup hemorrhaging money for so many, uh, for things that just are above and beyond. Now, there are people who are like, no, we want you to fix it because you were the first person who was honest with us about right. what's been transpiring. And then in that case, you know, we work with them. But the goal is really to help alleviate those issues from the get and to provide okay. it on, you know, it's a three-month minimum and they and okay. that's sort of the start. Some people don't need anything after that. A lot of people do, uh, but then they can scale down from there. And then some people then revert to hourly after they've gotten that intensive because they really just need a quick checks and balance. I see. Okay. Now let's talk about what are the biggest dangers and obstacles for entrepreneurs today? I mean, what do you see out there that 
everybody falls into the trap of, or people should be aware of when they're trying to figure out how to put their reinvention dream into reality? I honestly think people do not use enough product design thought process in creating their plans. And what I mean by that very succinctly is becoming so married to an idea that by the time it's getting filtered through people, the ability to change it and to see what customers really need versus what it is that you wanted to create, when those things are diametrically opposed, it's very hard to divorce yourself from that. It's very hard to say, oh, wait a minute, this really needs to change because that's the thing that you dreamt up or worked up at 2 o'clock in the morning and put so much into. And so it's really putting things out there in enough time to see what the reception is so that you can pivot, so that you can iterate and adapt in real time, as opposed to putting out your what you deem to be the best version of it that you've invested all of, all of this time in and you've never been able to see what the consumer or the marketplace's position on it will be. I think that's a huge mistake. So and it's the emotional I, I attachment to an idea that you're talking about, right, Candace? Oh, say that one more time. I'm so sorry. It's an emotional attachment to your idea that can get in the way yes. of the actual market. Yes, yes, it's the emotional attachment. And while that's valuable in terms of keeping you going when you're in this silo and you're working alone, that's the momentum and the catalyst for the drive. It can also, it's a two-edged sword. It's the thing that can destroy you when you're so attached to that moment and it's serving as a catalyst that you can't allow it to be its best version because the best version may not be what you envisioned in the very beginning. Yes, and I think that's what's really interesting. If you can be consumer-focused, which is what I always was when I was running my magazines, much to the chagrin of my bosses, who wanted us only yes. to focus on the advertisers. Right, and, no, you know, 100%. It's, consumers will tell you everything about what they want, and if you listen to them in general, you'll succeed, is my, my feeling. Which is why I made these these um, podcasts shorter is because the women who were listening said, I can't, you know, I can't listen to the whole thing on my drive to work because my drive is shorter and I don't want to have to pick it up again later. So that's why we're doing them in a half an hour instead of an hour. So let's talk a little bit about women. And because you're a woman, there may be absolutely no advantage, but maybe there is. What about having a female attorney are you there? Oops. Oh, yes, I'm listening. Oh, good. Sorry. Um, for your business, if you're a woman, does it matter? Do you find that there's some kind of synergy or some kind of um, girlfriend thing that happens? Or, is, or is it, does it really not matter today? It's, you know what? I'll say this. I believe that there is a whole picture, and I don't know if it's gendered, so I, I won't say that it matters, but I will say I have seen distinct benefits. I, not only from the creation of how my firm works, but just the appreciation of what big picture looks like and understanding sort of how to navigate um, tone in how people feel about their businesses. I think that there is something inherent 
numbers speak, right? It, this is it's not just a, a visceral, emotional response to something. When we look at when women are over portfolios and when women serve on boards, what that means long-term for industries and businesses, the numbers reflect that those businesses outperform. I don't think that it's a leap to say the same thing can be true when individuals are looking from a business perspective as attorneys and understanding that nothing exists purely in isolation, right? And that's what the, Mm -hmm. that's what good attorneys do. They are not looking at the business and the goal in a silo. Sadly, some are, right? But those aren't the good ones and the best ones. Those are ones who are working off of antiquated models and haven't had the luxury of seeing big picture. But women tend to see very big picture. And what that silo, the ramifications of a silo in a business and, and a goal on the larger arc of what someone is seeking to do and to be able to not defeat the dream by also putting in accurate measures to protect them or to change some things. And so I believe this ability to understand tone and how it feels and how things are interrelated is it's certainly not unique just to women, but I do believe that we bring that into boardrooms, we bring that into legal assessment, we bring that into our lives because we're not able to partition many, and I won't speak, you know, in, in broad strokes here, but I will say it does not right. surprise me when people are able to bring that to the business table because that's so many, you know, I look at who the caretakers are, I mean, just the numbers, I, you can't, you can't manage what you can't measure, right? And when I look at numbers right. consistently, who are the caretakers? Who's taking care of, you know, in-laws? Who's taking care of families? Still, in this country anyway, that yep. responsibility falls more so on women. So Correct. to say that they're not separate happening with child care, what's happening with the letter, who got the lunches, what's happening with mom and her medicine or dad and his medicine and making sure he's, he's you know, schedule in terms of going to the, pharma- the pharmacy and, and a physical therapist, even if it's not their parent, you know, that sort of managerial direction is not siloed off. They have to think about that, plan for it, then walk into a meeting, deliver, not have that be a distraction, and then understand what that right. means in large picture. And that is true in personal lives, and it's also true in terms of business advocacy and legal advocacy. And so do I think that having someone who's able to balance all of those things when entrepreneurs are balancing all of those things and and appreciating that someone who's doing all of that may not have their business plan done you know, as quickly as you may want, but when they get it to you, it's thorough and, and flushed out and solid and appreciating that that's not a gender issue. That's the fact that this person was working on 8 million things before they brought it to your office. That there's, so there's a value this- in having people see that as a strength and not a weakness. And that's something that women attorneys uh, should be able to appreciate in a very strong way. Interesting. So it's the interconnectivity that's important. So in, in closing, what I'm going to ask you for, Candace, is if, if our listeners want to take away three pointers from this discussion that they should apply to what's happening to them um, with their business or their dream or their reinvention, they might still be at an idea stage. Um, they could be sitting down with a girlfriend. They could be penning it out. What three tips can you leave them with that they should do 
when thinking about legal for what they're going to be doing? One, I, the first thing I would advise is being very honest about what they're hoping to accomplish from the business. Uh, identify whether or not they are solving a problem that everyone recognizes as a problem and whether or not this is a solution that is so ahead of its time. Um, making sure you have an audience, essentially is what I'm trying to say. Make, making sure that in terms of legal, sitting down first with yourself and if there's a business partner, even before you're with your business partner, and both of you mapping out what the goal is for the business and how, what type of exit you're imagining. Because if one wants this to be a legacy product or project that passes on you know, generation after generation, that's very different than the person who thinks after five years we want an exit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that can also change the discussion in terms of how you're accepting money. Maybe you're both going to work through this and fund, and this is something that you're doing at night, maybe you say, I'm leaving what we're currently doing and that we're putting everything into this and we're going to hope to seek investment capital. All of those things are dictated by what you plan to do and then how you want to leave it, you know, whether or not, what the exit's going to be. And then the third thing is, Understanding that great legal advice and being cost-conscious are not diametrically opposed, but they need to be strategically planned. And allying yourself up with someone who can represent you, not through nickel and diming, but also not by pretending that your business is flush with cash and capital, when it very well may not be. Those types of qualified counsel are out there. Finding the one that is the right fit for you, where you're comfortable, and where the conversation is not just about the legal ramifications of decisions, but also the business ramifications. This is a very holistic process, and the time for silos and giving advocacy or providing advocacy, legal advocacy specifically, in silos is not a model that works moving forward. It, it's an antiquated model, and it just is not in, in ex- existence unless you're going for tax advice, in which case I say the only thing they need to care about is tax, and that's A-OK. Um, and, <laughs> so if and you're an entrepreneur, keep- find somebody who can actually be your legal you're in a way you're saying you're you're a legal partner in a way not really a partner but you're part of the process not just the functionary doer of executor of various things i find that to be the best way to create a success long term absolutely awesome well candace thank you and i so appreciate your time and it is such a different way of looking at how you can get your dream or your reinventing. And I appreciate your time. And I'm hoping that people will look for you. And it's the Cook Law Group online, correct? Yes, yes, it is. It is. That's 100% correct. And just to make sure, I will make sure you have the link should you need it so that it's um, able to be found without any, without any issues. Good. Well, Candace, thanks so much for your time today, and I appreciate it, and so do all the CoveyCast listeners. Thanks again. Have a good day. Well, thank you.
I want to thank you all for listening to the CubbyCast today with Candace Cook. She is so interesting and so approaches legal from such a different point of view. And let me tell you, as an entrepreneur, legal is a lot of the money that's going to go out the door the first time. Um, the, the, biggest, the biggest chunk of everything you do, if you do it right, is going to be legal. So I would highly suggest that you take a look um, at how she's doing it, which is slightly different. Again, that's at the Cook Law Group, which is online. And I hope that you got enough information out of this podcast to, to make it clear that you can do this and when you should uh, get legal help and how. And I hope that you enjoyed the CoveyCast. And if you did, that you will give us a rating and a comment and some stars. And that if you find that we're helpful, you will pass us along to other friends. I know we have a bunch of great followers out there. I've met up with some of you. And also, I'm also open to um, what other questions you would like us to cover in reinvention and how we can help you better. I also hope that you will go over to CoveyClub.com and see all the other fabulous women and advice and inspiration we have on tap for you. We have live events, we have virtual events, we have written content. Don't forget also to join us on our Facebook page, which is Covey Club, and Twitter, The Covey Club, and also follow us on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.